and welcome to Ending Physician Overwhelm. I'm your host, Dr. Megan Mello. I'm a family and obesity medicine physician, as well as a certified life coach for physicians. In this podcast, we talk about how the learned habits of people-pleasing, perfectionism, and a lack of boundaries show up in our lives and how they contribute to burnout, exhaustion, and overwhelm. The healthcare system is broken, my friends, but let's not wait for it to be fixed in order to feel better. Hello, you're listening to Ending Physician Overwhelm, and I'm your host, Dr. Megan Mello. I'm a physician and a life coach for physicians and other professionals. In this podcast, we look at why, as physicians, we often get stuck in feelings of overwhelm, anxiety, and burnout, and how we can break out of toxic thought patterns. My hope is that each episode gives you an opportunity to heal and get more clear on how you want to show up in your life and your work. And now, let's get started. Hello and welcome to the show. Today I have a special guest with me. Dr. Jia Ung is a board certified nephrologist and a clinical researcher at the Zucker School of Medicine at Hofstra Northwell. She is the founder of Published MD, where she helps clinicians publish publish research papers by up-leveling their research and academic writing skills through digital products so they can build authority and achieve their academic goals. Dr. Jia, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Dr. Mello. Yes. Oh, it's such a pleasure to talk with you. I'm glad that we finally got a chance to sit down. Um, tell my listeners a little bit about your story, because I know that what you shared with me is such a common experience, and it's one that's really easy to overlook. Right. Um, so my story really happened in first year of nephrology fellowship where at that time I was, um, I had a two-year-old son and a six-month-old newborn and long commute. So, you know, first year is hard, um, but I was also handling two, two, two young kids. And so it, I was tired, it's, I was inefficient, you know? Um, and so what I ended up doing was I tried to get up much earlier to finish my work. And then because I was inefficient, I tended to stay much later uh, compared to my co-fellows. They were efficient. They could get things done. They seemed to get it right. And I felt like I was the, you know, when you have a big class and you, as a physician, you're always on top of uh, the top of the class. And suddenly I became like the weak link or Mm -hmm. the last Mm -hmm. in class. So I I try to compensate by like, you know what, I, I need to work harder. So let me stay longer get all the work done. Let me, let me study, let me read more. And so it ended up being um, so tiring and, and I just never improved. I just got more inefficient over time and I started making mistakes. And one day I got a call uh, that my program director wants to talk to me. And then he kind of, it, it, he, he said, um, attendings have been noticing something about you, that you've been making mistakes and you're taking a lot more time doing your work. And one attending noticed you were dozing off when you were talking, mm. like in mid-sentence. <laughs> so that wasn't good. And at that time, I felt like imposter syndrome came up. Oh, yeah. I 
couldn't get to Penn. Now he finally figured out I wasn't the right person. And um, he never said anything like that. He just said I was inefficient and I was getting tired. And the, the, the point was, I need to go back and rest for these two weeks. It's your research month anyway. You know, you, you don't need, you don't have any in-service. Go rest, go do your thing. You don't need to come in unless you need to see a clinical patient. And I, it, that was an intervention. It, it was very embarrassing to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but it was an instruction. So I did it anyway. Um, did regular things like laundry, <laughs> um, watch a bit of TV and, and not think about going to work or efficiency or reading any book. I just rested as, as he said. And surprisingly, when I came back, um, I just felt so much better. I felt like, oh, nephrology is actually kind of fun again. And I could round faster. I could see patients faster. I could finish my notes. I had like clinic notes that were uh, not written for three to four weeks and tendings were, mm. where's your note, where's your note, where's your note? And I completed yeah. everything. Um, having said that, I was still a, a work in progress, not the most efficient fellow during that time, but but I could see things changing. And so that was how I, I realized that um, it, two things. One was just physical exhaustion mm-hmm. that was leading to the, the inefficiency and, and feeling like I can't, I can get out of this race. Like I keep doing more, but nothing's improving. Mm-hmm. And so I was starting to feel very frustrated with myself and, and just feel like very um, unworthy. Yeah, yeah. 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 And I think that's so, that's so important to recognize, um, that, you know, kind of the usual is just this, well, I just need to push harder. If I was only better at this, if I was only, you know, smarter in this way or more efficient, everything would be fine, but pushing yourself more and more. And especially in a state where you have two young children, including a newborn, um, you know, there's, there's a, a, a threshold of physical exhaustion that cannot be overcome and, and how powerful for your program director to say, Hey, it's not really you, but this is a problem mm-hmm. and, and it needs to be fixed. Um, and I'm, yeah, I'm kind of wondering like, what, what was your, what were your thoughts before that time about yourself, about you as a fellow, about you as a doctor and then after you had that rest time. The, the before was, um, let me, I can, I can cope. I can figure it out myself. I can do everything myself. I, I don't need to show people how hard mm. I'm working. I just need to like, as long as I'm working, it will, I will overcome it. Yeah. Then when, when, when I was brought into the room and then I realized that, oh, people has been, people saw through me. Mm-hmm. So that was like, the, the main thing I felt really upset about it so that was before but two weeks after my perspective changed it felt like people were looking out for me they noticed and they intervened they could have just left it alone and said you know fellow you know it's a tough time they uh they'll get through it but but they actually saw something uh, apparently a few attendings uh, went to my program director and told him um, what's going on so I felt so touched and mm-hmm. so taken care of. And it made me feel like, oh, this is worth doing. Yeah. Just because somebody gave me a chance to, to try again. Yeah, I think that's so good. And talk a little bit, if you would, about um, you know, kind of the difference between 
as far as you can tell, sort of the emotional exhaustion piece that can come with burnout and just feeling like, you know, a lot of resistance. I can't do this. I can't do this, uh, compared to that physical exhaustion. Um, because of course the sleep and the rest are so important. They don't automatically fix, you know, kind of the emotional side. So kind of how you worked through that. The, the thing is we, we sometimes can't tell the difference mm-hmm. whether it's emotional or physical exhaustion. It's hard to tell. I feel like our emotional and physical health is very linked that if your physical health is not good, your emotional gets affected. If your emotional is not good, your physical gets, uh, gets affected as well. So even though I can't tell whether it's burnout because of emotional reasons or physical reasons, it could be both, mm-hmm. but fixing one at a time it was, it's like a keystone habit, you know, when you exercise, mm-hmm. you do one thing, things change, having that physical rest change. It made me more happy. It made me feel like, oh, somebody cared about me. And that yeah. kind of two sides, two buckets were filled simultaneously, just yeah. resting and somebody taking care of me. So, so I think I got out of it through both, both uh, components. Yeah. And, and it sounds like there's that really important community piece to it. Whereas before, you know, we're kind of in that silo of like, I need to do better. I need to figure this out. I'm, I'm on my own with this. And then this different idea of, oh no, people are looking out for me. Mm -hmm. Um, Other people recognize, you know, that this is a problem, not from a perspective of like, they need to fix me, but they need to say, we notice, and we think that you need some sleep, you know, we think you need some rest. and I wonder, yeah, kind of what your, like what the, what that community piece did for you in terms of your work going forward from there, because you were, you were still in fellowship, uh, but how did you think about, you know, kind of that, that community piece as part of your career moving forward? So I, I realized community is, is so important because it wasn't just my program director, it was my co-fellows. Mm. And they, they did not notice that part, like me making mistakes because they're not supervising me. But in their mind, I've always been the superwoman mm. because I have so many things going on. So they, it's like they have never thought of me that I was the weakest in class even though I felt it that way. Yeah, you felt that way. <laughs> right, right, but they have never said that. They have never thought that way. And it's, it's interesting when I hear about them talking about me two years later. It's like, oh, mm. it's interesting. And they have been very supportive where we would always go out and they will um, adjust to my time because I can't eat, eat dinner at 8 p.m. because I need to bring my, my nurse while I eat dinner. You know, they, they, they see through the whole mother motherhood mm. Um when they're hanging out with me. So that was really important. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. And, um, and how has that influenced how you show up now as an attending when you're working with others? Like, where is that community piece for you now? Oh, it's so important because um, I start recognizing what how difficult it is for interns and residents and also fellows, or even um, new moms who are attendings, because it's a new experience for them. And they may, I I relate that they may feel that, oh, I'm no longer as productive as before. People are going to notice me. And 
because I recognize that, um, I actually reach out sooner. Like I, I, I don't think like, oh, they'll be fine. They'll figure it out. Because I, I realize that sometimes you just need somebody to notice. Um, then the person will feel like, oh yeah, I need to pause. Maybe I need to do something differently. Yeah. So really kind of bringing in that human element. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. And um, how would you say that, um, you know, just kind of thinking about the academic parts, uh, and we'll talk a little bit about the amazing work that you're doing, trying to, uh, you know, help educate and give resources for people who are doing clinical research and writing papers, um, you know, just kind of thinking about, about in academic medicine, you know, where are those silos that people um, get stuck in where they feel like they're on their own? And where are there opportunities for people to, um, you know, to really be more open about the difficulties of, of just the work that you're doing, speaking as a non-academic physician? Sure. Uh, so in academia, it's, we, we all have pressures, whether in um, non-academia or not. In academia, you have the pressure of publishing papers. And um, because of that, not not everybody's trained to write research paper and they feel like, oh, um, if I learn how to do research, I should be able to publish. But they don't realize that's a separate skill. Mm-hmm. And so they are also kind of taking in themselves. Like they try to do the work, but nothing's coming out. Again, they become lonely. And so the same similar story about feeling overwhelmed at my you know, fellowship, it's the same in research. You know, you can feel overwhelmed and nothing's coming out. And sometimes instead of just like chugging along, it's, it's better to seek help and, and, and figure out why, why am I not publishing? Have a community. And I realize that's the most important because if you don't talk about it, it always seems like the people who publish this paper do not have any struggles. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, and, and typically there are only a few researchers in the division, like I, I'm the one or two people in the whole division. And so they, they may not understand the different struggles, like the writing struggles, or the publication struggles, or why, why my, I couldn't recruit patients struggles, but there are different elements. Um, so I would encourage people to always look outside of the institution to find a community. And mm. don't be afraid to call email people or call text people. Uh, say, hey, I, I really enjoy your work. Um, I thought we'd like to connect. Uh, social media could be useful too. Twitter mm-hmm. is how a lot of academia get connected to each other. Uh, not, not to tweet at each other, but more of a connection so that you can start a conversation. Yeah, I love that. Just not being afraid to say, hey, this is hard, or I don't know how to do this yet. You know, and 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 use the community really like lean into those, those relationships and create new ones, even if you don't have them. Um, Cause of course, you know, different, different environments are different, more and less supportive uh, than others. So that's really helpful. Tell us a little bit about the work you're doing for your company, which you started published MD. Uh, so I, I started this company because I felt like there was this middle group of people who are getting ignored. So you have the whole group who are, I want to be a doctor. I want to see patient. That's all they want to do. Then you have the other group is like, I know I want to be a researcher. I want to do a PhD or master's. They, they do the whole MD, PhD. And so they get research training as they are in medical school. Mm-hmm. And then you have like this middle group who, you know, became a doctor 
And they were told that they need to do some scholarly activity. Uh, so they go to kind of clinical, clinical academia or clinician, uh, academic clinician. And so this group of people, they are expected to publish papers, but they were never really given a full training. Mm-hmm. And so they're stuck in this la-la land. They don't want to spend extra time taking another four-year master's just to have a three or four publication. And yeah. I, I wanted to fill that gap because I went through that and realized, oh, there, there is a lot of nuances in how clinicians think compared to how researchers think. It's all mm. And so that's why I am currently making YouTube videos on how to write research papers because that's a separate skill. And um, I will soon start making more on uh, uh, research techniques and also start talking more about transitioning from residency to being a t- a- attending because that is one of the most common questions I get all the time from my audience. Mm. Yeah, that's good. And I love that idea of, of um, you know, filling in the gap because you're right, there are people who did MD, PhD, and, you know, they spent time learning that research world, you know, not just doing the research, but also really getting the support around, you know, what it takes to, to run the research and, and to write it up um, and all of that. And so you're looking to serve this group in the middle who are clinicians and they're doing clinical research, usually not bench research, but they need support in terms of they don't automatically know how to write an academic paper or, um, you know, create graphics or any of those skills. And can they figure it out? Probably. Is that going to take forever? Probably. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Cause they're not just kind of automatic skills that we're born with. <laughs> right. And the thing about research is um, it's, it's very broad. And mm-hmm. when you go YouTube, you don't know what you need for this particular project. Um, and some of the things may be like machine learning, which may no longer be uh, applicable to a clinician, but for some, it will be their whole research. So having, having a person who comes from, I know how clinic, most clinicians think, I know what sort of pro, uh, 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 projects residencies would want to do. I know what sort of uh, typical projects that is reasonable for those who have to see patients 80% mm. of the time, mm-hmm. what type of project will suit them? I, I know that because I've been in that spot. Yeah. Yeah. And tell me just, um, do you have a sense of, of what your audience uh, is composed of? Are you getting a lot of residents and students? Or are you getting a mix of people who've been out in practice? I'm just curious. So I actually do get a mix because my my, the, the topics I have my YouTube channel, some are, some are somewhat broad, like mm. how to find a research topic. So I do have people reaching out. Oh, I'm in the, from the math. I'm from human resource looking for a research project, you know, so yeah. that's how, how they came through. But then when I talk about topics on academic writing, sometimes I also have people from non-research, uh, non-medical. Mm-hmm. There are certain topics I'm more physician. And, and just because most of the time I, I spread my videos on Twitter, they tend to be physicians. So mostly physicians, but just because of certain topics, I'm pulling people from non-medical or biomedical science. Yeah. And, and if you wouldn't mind um, just sharing a little bit about why you wanted to do this, because, you know, I look at you and I see, well, you know, there's this successful, um, you know, academic clinician who is doing publishing. Why not just stop there? 
why go off and create your own business doing this other work? What, what led you down that path? Um, I would say impact. So mm. to, to go back on why I went to research in the first place, it's, it also comes to impact. When I see my patient one-to-one, I absolutely love that. But I can only help one at a time. And so I want to help more. And my goal is to help a million patients. And I can't do that myself. So mm-hmm. I thought I would you know, do research. When I do research, I indirectly help thousands of people, but I can't fix a million. So then the, the next rolling thought was, oh, if I can help a thousand physicians publish paper and they're helping a thousand patients each time, then now I can help a thousand patients, uh, a million patients. So that, that was kind of the, the philosophical side of things. But in more of career purpose, it is because, you know, I love business. I love the whole entrepreneurship thing. And I love science. And the only way I could do things that combine both was this. And mm. so, you know, when I'm doing my day job, I'm thinking about my business. Uh, like the, the things I do it, during my employee time, I am benefiting my uh, business side. But when I'm doing, when I'm thinking through the videos and courses for my students, I am also polishing my skills. Mm-hmm. And so it's also improving uh, my skills that will benefit me during uh, my my um, employee physician time or research time. Oh, that's so great. So that I just, kind of you know, I just, I think it's so important for people to hear that they can have an interest where they want to have impact outside of, you know, just quote unquote, the day job of medicine, <laughs> if we can call it a day job, which is completely unfair, but, but just thinking, you know, yeah, I want something more. I want something more. I want to do something more. And I think it's so helpful for people to hear a story like yours and get a sense of, Hey, there are options. I could just go out and do this. Right. And sometimes coming back to the topic of overwhelm is we, we want to do many things, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you, one, one way I could have thought of was, uh, Oh, I'll do research. And then I, I will do uh, a site business on real estate. Mm-hmm. And, and now I have to like do a separate, completely new skill. But because I'm doing two edits, things that are very aligned, mm-hmm. that doesn't, you know, when I take time from the day job versus the business time, they are really feeding into each other. So it doesn't feel as overwhelming. Yeah. So that, that relationship is very sort of symbiotic. Yeah. Symbiotic. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so good. And tell me, um, you know, I always ask the question of, what do you want someone who feels like they're really struggling with, um, you know, either the emotional exhaustion or the physical exhaustion or both? What do you want them to know? Cause they're listening. The first thing I would say is this is based on my personal experience is that don't ever sacrifice your physical health mm. in, in pursuit of efficiency because sleeping and having enough sleep and exercising is the number one productivity. I, I've learned that since. Um, so at first it was just coming out of the fall when, when I first rested, you know, mm-hmm. oh, I can finally think again. <laughs> that time I wasn't even there. I don't feel drunk all the time. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not dozing when I'm in the middle of a conversation, you know. Uh, then the next level was I started to sleep more and exercise every day. And I felt like the productivity improved. 
So that's the, kind of the first level baseline. You need to take care of your physiological health. If not, your, your mind is just not clear enough to even mm-hmm. differentiate. It, am I burnout or not? Am I tired? Am I just sick of things? So I, I would say start with your physical health. And then if that doesn't fix it, then now at least you're self-diagnosing. Okay, I, I've taken care of my physical health and this is still a problem. Let me see what I can do or seek help. Very good. Uh, so helpful. Cause I think a lot of people just assume, well, if I just have a weekend and I just sleep it off, I'm automatically better. And it's like, well, the sleep is absolutely critical, but it may not be the only thing. Right. Right. Yeah, and it, it may that. take a lot more time to recover. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the problem with severe sleep uh, deficit is you, you can never get it back. Mm-hmm. You can never really get it back. So you, you need yeah. a lot of time to recover. And nothing will replace, nothing will make it better. You know, moving to yeah. a new job or quitting fellowship or any of those things, nothing will fix a true sleep deprivation except for true sleep and true right. rest. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, this has been such a great conversation. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, tell my listeners where they can find you and learn more about the work you're doing uh, with Published MD. Uh, you can find me at my website, www.publishedmd.com. Or if you are interested in a research paper, academic writing, or transitioning, from uh, trainee to attending hood, you can also look at my YouTube channel. You can search published MD as well. Great. Thank you so much. And we'll have links to all of those in the show notes. Um, Dr. Gia, thank you so much for joining me and, uh, you know, letting my listeners sort of hear your story and, um, you know, just another example of, I think, women in medicine doing really innovative things uh, with a clear purpose. I think it's so powerful. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Melvin. It was such a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Ending Physician Overwhelm. If you've learned something today or felt moved, please share this episode with a colleague and be sure to like and subscribe so that you don't miss an episode yourself. If you'd like to know more about me and my coaching practice, you can find more information at www.healthierforgood.com. Until next time, take care. That's our show for today. Thank you as always for listening. To learn more about my coaching programs, head to www.healthierforgood.com. And if you love this podcast, please drop us a review on iTunes or support the show by clicking the link in the show notes. Until next time, take care.